The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Uh, I was speaking to a friend recently. Um, wait a minute, it was two years ago. At any rate, so the, uh, uh, they asked, what are, you, what are you going to talk about on Sunday? I go, you know, I realized that the Everything series, which was supposed to cover a variety of subjects, were, have, have had a general sexual theme to them, which made me wonder about my own dysfunction. And, um, and so I said, well, you know, I, I tweeted, for those of you who are following me, following Mosaic Whittier, as well you should, um, that, you know, hey, this Sunday, sexual, spiritual addiction. And then they asked, well, do you mean sexual addiction? Or I said, no, no, spiritual sexual addiction, not spiritual addiction, not sexual addiction, spiritual sexual addiction. And so we're going to take a look at the uh, book, uh, Old Testament, uh, prophet named Jeremiah. He was speaking to a nation that was in a, a culture, a community of people that were in, in spiritual decline. And in that group of people, there were folks who, were, um, who had claimed or believed that they had a very significant deep connection to their God, and others who were eh, a little ambivalent, and others who didn't care less. So a lot like maybe, you know, any other community of people. So before we start, let me take a few moments to, to pray with you, kind of bring this all back, and then we'll get into the scriptures. Father, I do thank you that, that because you care for us, you remind us of who we are, our condition, um, sometimes using very startling language to describe who we are and, and what we do, what I pray, though, is that in the midst of this conversation, that we would begin to experience your heart in this, not just have another list of rules and not just feel another list of things we have to do or not do, but that we would engage you in a, in a loving connection, a loving relationship that draws us to you. In your son's name, amen. So Jeremiah chapter 2, I'm not going to read the entire chapter. Um, but uh, verses 1 through 8 first, and here's what it says in the New International Version. The word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel, this is the bride, was holy to the Lord or set, set apart or very devoted to me. The first fruits of his harvest, all who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook him, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where's the Lord who brought us out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness and through a land of des deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance, which is the land in Israel, detestable. I mean, you just made it awful. The priest didn't ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law didn't know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. And then drop down to verse 23. So how can you say, I'm not defiled. I, I haven't run after the Baals. Do you remember how you behaved in the valley? Consider what you've done. You're, you are a swift she-camel running here and there like a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving and in her heat who can restrain her. Any male that pursue her doesn't need to tire themselves. At mating time, they'll find her. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods. I must go after them. And so as a, 
as a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, their prophets, they say to wood, you're my father. They say to stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me, and, and not their faces though. Yet when they're in trouble, they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come and save you when you're in trouble. For you, Judah, this is another, he's switching names here, Israel, people of God, Judah, Israel. For you, Judah, you have many gods as you have towns. And why do you bring charges against me? You've all rebelled against me, declares the Lord. In vain I punish your people. They didn't respond to correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a ravenous lion. You of this generation, consider the word of the Lord. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say to me, we are free to roam? Who are, uh, we will come to you no more. Does a young woman forget her jewelry? Does a bride forget her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Some of the trouble discussing, quote, sin, is that that word is so outdated and not even part of our cultural language that, <clears throat> you know, you, you say the word sin, and if people are coming from any kind of church background, they think, oh, yeah, you know, telling a lie, cuss word, stealing, looking at nasty pictures, that's sin, right? Those are acts of sin. And yet, I think the scripture is much more nuanced in, in having multiple, you know, kinds of words and descriptor, descriptors for the word let's say, just sin. What's that old... I, I don't even know if it's true. I mean, you can correct me, but not publicly. You can correct me. How, what is this? Isn't it like Eskimos have like a multiple words for snow, different types of snow? Is that correct? Yeah. Anybody, anybody Eskimo here? Thank you. So, um, so the scripture making sense that it, if, if it's discussing a spiritual realm, that it would have the correct words for um, spiritual darkness. So, you know, often you'll hear people in... Uh, here speak about darkness or brokenness but 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 if you we use the word evil or sin for some folks that's just a little bit tough to accept though for for us it, it's synonymous i want you to understand we're not trying to sidestep the concept of sin that's taught in the scripture um but we also recognize that for some people that just it, it's a word that almost means it means something or nothing so we have to use another word that's maybe more descriptive in our culture to explain what the scriptures explain and yet, I think all of us recognize that there, there's something wrong with the species, right? Something's wrong with people. You don't have to be that in tuned if you just follow the news. I don't care what it is, what channel, what source. Any, um, I'm not talking about natural evil. I'm just talking about what we do as people. My wife have often, has often said, oh, things are just getting worse and worse and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, you know, I have a, I guess I have a lower view of humanity. I just think we were bad from, from many, many years. I, I recall uh, not long ago um, coming across a, um, a book from the 1920s of uh, crimes that a particular uh, LAPD detective had recorded. And he recorded with photographs and descriptions. And, uh, you know, I don't know why there's some things that stick in my head, like a sieve, and others just go right through it, like important dates and facts. But weirdness that humanity has done has just sticks in my head, and it, it was just awful. I mean, this was, it made films like Hostel and Saw look tame. And this was just L.A., and this is just one detective. You know, so I, I, it's hard for me to get to people saying, oh, things are worse. I think what we have is more access to information. 
Did you know there was at one time the policy of the LAPD in, back until the 30s not to report child abductions or child crimes, to, not to alarm the communities? But now, of course, you know, there's a kid missing. I'm not, oh, by the way, I'm not downplaying this. We have Amber Alerts, things on the freeway. We're immediately aware of it. You know, if someone falls down a well, it's national focus. So again, I don't think it's worse. I just think we just have more access to the information. Okay, back to evil and darkness. I think darkness, evil, uh, brokenness that's in humanity is, um, is a way of, well, not a way, but what ends up happening is that it, it, we inevitably reduce God and make our spirits smaller. And, but in this particular case, what I'm going to talk about, and I almost think this is like a part two from the hell talk from last week, that this, this will explain what I mentioned before, that in, inside of each of us, there's a thing that if, if allowed to continue to burn, will burn us down to a crisp and leave us at nothing. So in a way, there's something in all of us that replaces God and causes an addiction. And I mentioned that briefly last week, that you know, some, of the, some of the attributes of, 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 a, of an addiction. So let me talk briefly about spiritual attraction, and then we'll talk spiritual addiction. Um, if you've ever been to one of the weddings I've officiated, you know two things. Number one, they're extremely short. And number two, that I, I mentioned that there's many metaphors God uses to explain his love for us. Parent, child, uh, creator, you know, shepherd and sheep, you know, and, and there's just different levels and expressions of his love, right? But the one that's almost often not spoken of, which I think is the most lovely and the most poignant when you really continue to unwrap it, is the metaphor that God uses of calling himself a husband and his people a bride. So, so people I've connected to, people that, that, that claim to know me, I'm all in. And it, it feels just like the kind of love and connection that you see or experience when two people first marry. The fir when they're first married, you know. And I'll mention sometimes in a wedding, like, hey, when you see these two people looking at each other, you know, they're looking at you know, how they love each other. This is how God loves us. This is how he looks at us. And you, you see in the verses there in Jeremiah how, like in verses uh, uh, 4, I think it is, um, how, you know, the guy would do, you know, anybody that gave his wife a hard time, he would be all over them in, in, a, in a heartbeat, you know. He cares that way. And then Jesus carries the, the, the metaphor in, in the New Testament, calling himself a bridegroom. And um, his people, anybody who might be, regardless of their ethnic background or their whatever background they came from, he says, and you're my bride. I, I, this is how I love you. And so what is then surprising, I guess, often then to discover is how often the uh, language that God uses to describe a connection or worship with him in sexual terms. Then he uses that same metaphor to describe, and when you connect with something else apart from me, it's like infidelity. Now, it's not like infidelity. He says it is infidelity. And I think this is, uh, for some of us, our thinking about Christ and God is so Greekified that uh, we've stripped it of emotion. Almost, it's almost Buddhist. And what I mean by that is that we don't think in terms of, of, of eliciting or creating an emotion in God. It's more of, this, you know, God is here, the stern figure. We have a duty, an obligation, a responsibility to listen to him. That never spoke to me. My wife is built to respond to duty, obligation, rules, responsibility. That has never moved me. I mean, I, it's not that I don't... I mean, I realize that there's somebody hurt, that I have a duty to respond to humanity. I get that. But 
when someone says, you know, you should do something, as soon as I hear should, I go, quit shooting on me. You know, as soon as I hear should, <laughs> all of you are awful for laughing at that. Uh, it, it just completely, you know, it just, I, 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 I shut down. That never speaks to me. But love often has. In fact, it, in fact, it's the only thing that does. Now, I recognize there's, there's a, there, there could be a problem in making everything emotional, right? But I, got, I have to tell you, I, God often speaks to us in those terms. Look at verses 1 through 3 where he, um, he speaks, of, speaks of ourselves as the language of lovers. Husband and wife. Uh, and and uh, a young couple that is so broke, you know, the, the bride's willing to follow this guy into a, a shabby little apartment and the, you know, car that sometimes doesn't start. You know, you follow me into the wilderness, but you didn't care because we were in love. What happened? What happened? And then in verses 4 through 8, he, he points out that, and, and, and you started connecting with other spiritual sort of things. Now, before we get weird and say, oh, there's... There's monsters out there and demons. I'm not even speaking to that. He's just speaking that you're replacing me with something else. I tell you what, in, in verse 20 in that chapter, and I, I didn't uh, put it up here. This was kind of weird to find. The NIV comes closest to uh, translating this verse. He says, under every spreading tree, you act like a prostitute. In Hebrew, it says, under every spreading tree, you just spread your legs. And, and what's, you know, you know, you first, I've looked ASV, King James, RSV, ABC, CNN, nobody, <laughs> nobody translates it directly. And it's almost as if the translators were like, oh, I don't think we can handle what God has to say here. Oh my gosh, the vapors, you know. But apparently God had no problem talking to his people. Like, you guys are acting like whores. You just spread your legs. For anything. It's a little, doesn't it feel weird? Okay, now, back in the podcast. So, brethren, please. <laughs> Thou must. At any rate. Now, so, but, but, but in this language, <laughs> uh, high hills and spreading trees were places of worship. So you would think, oh, it, under, at the high hills and the spreading trees, you worship. No, you just act like a prostitute. Just spread your legs. This is how I feel. In fact, he even picks a prophet. Hey, I want you to go marry this prostitute. This broken, damaged woman. Take her as your own and live with her because this is how it's like to feel. This is what it feels like to be connected to you. So, um, so why does God use that language? Just for shock value to be provocative? Uh, you know, no, that's why I do it. But, but there's actually a teaching value here that he uses sexual language to describe the, uh, worship and connection with him. Why? Because he, he's saying something, I think, very important, and this is what we need to hear, that there's, there's, there's an attraction deep, deep, deep in our soul for, for a spiritual connection that is just as a powerful, if not more powerful, than the, than the attraction and drive and desire for sexual uh, intimacy. It's the same. He's, he's putting it on the level playing field. And what else he's saying is that and if you don't connect with me in that spiritual sense, you will connect with something else because you have to have it. You, you just, this is, you know, and, and, and if you're not laying down with me, if you're not connecting to me in this deep way, in a very intimate, new, new, powerful way, it will be with something else or someone else. So the question, of course, in my head was like, wow, who is, what? So, man, you know, like, what, what am I, where is that, where does that leave me? 
Who is it? What, what, what have I done? Um, so, okay, let's, let's unwrap this sexual thing for a little bit. Yeah, awesome and amazing. I still find it funny. I remember, uh, just, well, it only happened once, you know, you know so, so you're a pastor. So what do you think about sex? Like, I don't, what do you, oh, it's bad. You never should do it. Just for procreation purposes only. You know, like, what do you, yay, sex. I'm glad he did it. You know, like, what do you mean what do I think about it? I, what kind of, but it tells me something about what people think, that we think about sex, correct? Um, that it's always awful and bad. <laughs> so many stupid jokes come to mind right now. I bet you're wondering, like, tell us one, but I won't. Um, I think most of us would, would say that it's amazing and awesome, in, in, especially in, in the sense of marriage, when you know that that person knows you, loves you, is not leaving, is committed to you, and, and, you, and you open yourself uh, emotionally, you're vulnerable with that individual. It, it's an amazing experience. But I think we would also, if we're honest, we would say our worst embarrassing, disintegrating moments have been when we've allowed sexual attraction to overwhelm our common sense, our wisdom, and our conscience. And, and, and the ironic thing is that as close as you could be with somebody physically, after those moments, with somebody that you really doesn't know you, or doesn't care for you, doesn't love you, or that you don't love, you've never felt more incredibly alone. Like, you know, can you leave now? What was that one... I've never seen this, ever. There was a clip once playing on this NPR radio. It had to do with relationships. It stuck in my head. The Kim Cattrall character in Sex and the City. What was her name? Samantha. Samantha. Like you guys didn't know. I don't know. Because <laughs> you said, Samantha. It's Samantha. <laughs> you were just mouthing it. <laughs> so it was about relationships, at any rate. And I thought, oh, this is so true. So in the, the character apparently had just finished having sex with somebody. It's on the radio, so you could, I, didn't, I couldn't see anything. Um, and so the guy says to her, hey, let's, let's go have dinner. And she says, why? And she says, well, to get to know, I mean, I want to spend time with you. And she says, I don't even know you. And so the, then the, the clip ended, and then the, you know, the commentator says, this is... This is the problem with some of our relationships. She just finished having sex with him, but couldn't stand the notion of actually being known by him or wanting to know him. I thought, boy, that, that explains a lot, of, a lot of dysfunction in some of our connections and relationships. So yes, I think we'd have to admit that uh, sexual, physical attraction has sometimes made us fools. So why is this? Well, um, I think science would just simply say that there's this, com there's this incredible need that human beings are essentially just a vehicle for genes to reproduce. Um, and, and, you know, to a degree, it kind of makes sense. I mean, I can kind of get there. Um, but I think all of us know that there's something unique about men and something unique about women that by ourselves, we cannot reproduce lives. We, we, as a species, we are not asexual. We are sexual. We have to have the other to continue our species, to give us life. Correct? Biology 101? We all know that? All right. So we need the other to give us life. We're insufficient to re reproduce ourselves, collectively speaking. And, and, and also, Jeremiah says something here. God, through him, says, and at times, it, it doesn't even have to be an emotional connection for that to happen. We know that. So why is it applied here? Well, oddly, God is not talking about Israel or this people's sexual practices or ethics. He's speaking about their spirituality. 
their religion. And he says, you know, I, you know, look, God is saying to them, I, I want you to understand that there's this desire in, in your soul that, that informs you more powerful than your sexual drive. And by our own, by yourself, you cannot produce your own meaning, your own worth, your own security. You've got to have the other to do that. And I'm it, God is saying. But if it's not me, then you'll try to connect with something else because you have to have that. Years ago, back in the 70s, which so many, many of you weren't even born, I was reading this um, fellow named Francis Schaeffer, some of you might have heard of. One of the phrases that he pointed out stuck in my head and always made sense to me, even as I was trying to, you know, trying to think my way through what I believed about God, what I understood, what I was actually experiencing in reality. And he said, you know, that, hum that human beings, humanity, cannot give themselves meaning, that our meaning must come from a reference point outside ourselves. Follow? Make sense so far? Um, so in other words, whether it's a chair or car, it, it, it has no meaning in and of itself unless there's a reference point to give it meaning. And so, human beings. And that stuck. It made me understand a bit about uh, what it is about God that is necessary in many ways for our lives. So if, if God isn't your source of meaning, affirmation, and worth, it's something else. In fact, Jeremiah's language is saying you're in bed with something else. It, you are that intimately involved with something else if it's not God. You're every bit as sprayed out and laid out and vulnerable spiritually as you are physically when you're sexually intimate with a person. He says you're doing the same thing. That leads to another thought I had. It's like, okay, so how do I picture my soul? How do you picture your soul? This thing that's, you know, serene and looking for, its, for calm and peace. Oddly, it seems like the scripture pictures it over and over again as being very turbulent, riotous almost, passionate. It demands and needs passion. It's not this calm, serene thing like a field of daisies. It's this wild, crazy thing that requires another wild lover. And the picture most folks have of God, and, and whether you're believers or not, is often this um, aloof, remote person, if you can get to personhood, or maybe a power and a force, and yet God often speaks of himself as wanting to be, by the way, I realize this sounds inappropriate. D don't misunderstand. It sounds just as weird coming out of my mouth as, as maybe when you're hearing it. But I see it in the scripture over and over and over and over again. He wants to be the lover of our souls. He wants to be that one that brings us rapture. He wants to be that one that ignites passion. He wants to be that one that gives us life. He says, you cannot do it alone. I'm the other that you need. I have built you for me. That's why I made you. And so there's, you know, he, there's the spiritual attraction thing. We, we are going to drive towards it. But what happens in spiritual addiction then? Why did I connect the two? Because in, in verse 27, what ends up happening for many of us, whether you're a follower or not, it, it, by the way, you don't have to be a religious person for this to work. This is how you work. This is the story of all of our lives. Whether you consider yourself a new follower, an old follower, a weak one, a strong one, a not a follower, you're a spiritual person, I don't... I think you're an idiot. Why did I come here? You know, no matter what you think, this is the story of our lives. We 
will always promote something to the God level in our lives. We will always promote a good thing to the ultimate thing, which is what, the, and, and you are doing, if, you, if you've done that, you're doing actually, you're doing theology, you're doing bad theology, but you're doing theology, you've made an idol. That's all that an idol is. And, and so let's remove from our heads the immature, silly notion that we're civilized, we're Western, we don't bow down to statues. As if somehow that's the only form of idolatry. The idolatry happens in our head and our hearts. When we replace something, um, even if it's a good thing, in the place that maybe, not maybe, the place that God ought to be. This is why when God, excuse me, this is why when Jesus names off some things in the scripture about, hey, if you don't, if you don't have this a lower, not a lower view, if you don't have this view of your family even, that's less than the love for, for, uh, for God, for me, he even says, you're not worthy of me. And we can't have the connection. <laughs> Some of you guys might remember this. Do you recall when you, when you were dating, let's say, a girl who was a Christian, and um, she tells you those words, I love you. You know, right? You, oh, yeah, well, of course. And then, um, uh, glad you finally caught up, because I love me too. Now there's two of us. And uh, so, uh, but, but then they say, but I, I, but I love, I, I don't love you as much as I love Jesus. I love Jesus more. And you got weirdly jealous of Jesus. You're like, who's this Jesus? Where is he? I remember when my, when my wife and I, we were, we were dating, you know, she made this deep, like, immediate connection to God, and, and, and she, oh, I love you, and, and, but, you know, I just love Jesus more, and I, you know, I knew better, I, I, that ought to be, right, but it bugged me, I mean, it's, okay, I get it, just don't say it, can you just not, because how do you compete against Jesus, I mean, you, can't be any cooler, I mean, what do you, what do you do, Are you, how do I beat this guy? You know what I mean? Anyway, so stupid. I was 20. What did I know? But as much as I know now. Um, actually, look at what these folks say to the wood and the stone statues that they've made. Oh, you're my father. You gave me birth. Now, is there anything wrong with wood? Of course not. And by the way, I've, I've met people that won't have like statues in their home of whatever because, oh, the Bible talks about Statues are, no, it's not talking about the statues. It's not even talking about the wood or the stone. It's your attitude towards it that makes all the difference in the world. You made, you are my father. You gave me birth. Without you, you know, what good am I? It's just, just taking something good and promoting it. And then if you drop down to verse 20, drop up to verse 25, uh, Speaking about addiction, so you, you, you promote something to God's place, and you end up being kind of addicted to it. You see here this animal running in the desert, not a good idea, about water, I guess, or a camel pack. Oh, what do you know? It's a camel. And, um, you know, even explain that you just running and running to you. Even your shoes wear out. That's how why your feet are bare. Looking for that thing. You must have it. You're defined by it. Now, here's how I can tell you if you're in danger of allowing something to burn you to a crisp, if you're spiritually addicted to something, even if it's a good thing, just take it away when you're having stress. Now, years ago, I used to get into my head a way that I knew that something was unhealthy is that what did I go back to whenever I was in stress? Follow? For some of you, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, it's retail therapy, which is fine. It's healthy. It's nothing's wrong with that. Don't let anybody tell you different. You can find it on sale. God meant for you to have it. 
especially if it's cashmere. <laughs> Anything cashmere. You know what? I, I want to own a pair of cashmere socks. It just pains me to spend 60, 70 bucks, but I will. Before I die, I will own them. Even I have to be buried in them. Not addicted to clothes, by the way. No, don't have a problem with that at all. Take, take it away when you're under stress and, you, and you'll, you, you'll see that apparently that thing has been more important to you. That thing was defining you. That thing was your father. That thing, was, that thing birthed you. That thing's given you life. And I know some of you are thinking, oh yeah, well I don't, I don't do drugs. I don't drink much. You know, I, I know that some of you are thinking that. I don't smoke. Okay. It's good things. So as I briefly alluded to last Sunday, take two different people. This man loses his job, this man loses his job. One guy's like, oh man, that's a bummer, I hate it, that's, that's lousy, it's, you know, I wish it didn't happen. Normal reaction. This guy falls apart. He's, you know, you know he, he collapses. It's, it's, I mean, it's really difficult. He's having a huge time being able to function as an adult, as a dad, as, a, as anything. He's not bathing, he's not showering. Oh, that's normal. He's not doing anything, you know, he's just struggling. Why? Because he was defined by this. Take a relationship. I've seen this happen over and over again. So uh, male or female doesn't happen. You have to be in one. And as soon as you're out of one, you kind of slide back into another. Why? Because you cannot not be uh, feeling that you're attracted, uh, you're attracted to someone else. You, you're in love with romance. You're in love with the idea of love. You don't know how to. I'm going to suggest to you, my friend. But you're in love with the idea of it. And take it away. And, it's like, and, and you know, you... You feel stressed, you feel uncomfortable, you don't feel yourself. In fact, here's another way of putting it. Let me flip it. When things go bad, what do you feel you have to have to feel good again? You follow? What's the what if? if no, what's the if only, I should say? Oh, man, I don't feel good. You know, if only, if only I had some company right now. If only I had this thing right now. If only I had this person right now. If only I was able to, you follow? What would get me out of my funk is this thing. I'm going to suggest to you that's becoming your God. And, and uh, you, hey, you're doing bad theology. You're making an idol. Make sense? Okay. Your, your silence, I don't know what that is. Just say yes or no. Say yes. Yes. Awesome. Great. Not, I don't have a crippling need for affirmation. It's not my idol. an idiot. You want to know who the alcoholic is at a table? If, if everybody's drinking, who's the alcoholic? Oh, the one that's sloppy. No. Nope. The one who's drinking the most. Not necessarily. The one who... I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> go to the table and remove all the alcohol. Oh, I'm sorry. None of you can drink anymore. Who's the alcoholic then? The one that what? The one that protests. Right. That's the alcoholic. This is where I realized that I have an unhealthy, unnatural fondness for caffeine. There was a, a very generous gift. Uh, someone gave us this amazing espresso machine. I mean, it even does the crema correctly. I'm not lying to you. Sometimes at 5.25, 5.15, 4.15, I've woken up in the mornings, and that's the first thing in my head. I'm not talking. I'm not making any sense. I'm not even dressed. You know, I still have a wig on from last night. I'm not... I just... <laughs> Oh, wait, did I say that out loud? <laughs> and, and you know what's even weirder? I've gone back to bed. And it's sitting there cold. I'll still drink it. I have no shame. You think I have integrity? Come on. 
<laughs> so one day, I wake up the other morning, and my evil, non-caring, loving wife <laughs> failed to buy the espresso pods from Coffee Bean Teen Leaf. The one thing I asked her, it's just one, one, one thing. That's all I want from you. You cannot even do, you know, it was just those moments where you, you're so angry you don't even want to curse because cursing's not enough. <laughs> it fails to capture, you start cursing in Spanish because that's it, and you, you know, you're Irish, you don't even know Spanish. And it was just, you know, it's like pulling out hair. And so I, because I'm her husband, I'm a spiritual leader, a pastor. <laughs> I'll do it, apparently only one that cares. I said self-righteously, give me those keys. <laughs> I was driving down there. And, uh, I'm only partially exaggerating, by the way. So I'm driving down there, all ticked off at Lillian. God, I can't believe it. Just one thing. Jing it. I mean, I know she's got a real job, and I only work Sundays, but still. What are you so upset about? Can you believe her? Like that, that. <laughs> so what do you need it so badly? Because... <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been reduced to, a pod. An espresso pod. Or I should say, the absence of an espresso pod. It brought out the worst of me. So I came home and I told Lily, look, when you're, when you're ready to apologize, I'm big enough to accept it. <laughs> Because I know how to handle relationships. You know, often, actually, side note, when there's been that argument between my wife and I, and I'm trying to reach back, connect, because I realize I've been a total ass, you know, well, we'll just put butt in the uh, podcast. Because <laughs> so, people in the Midwest get it. And uh, so often, just kind of like the joking reconciliation. I said, you know, honey, we weren't at our best. But when you're willing to apologize, I'm big enough to accept it. I know. <laughs> I'm an amazing guy, right? Do I know how to treat a lady or what? All right. I'm stalling for time because this is getting weirder. Oh, boy. You know, I, I've, been, I've been talking to people recently, just, I mean, just in the past few days, we were just really, really hurt over a relationship that, that, that broke down, and, and uh, they were just so, you know, angry in a way and hurt, and... I can't believe God allowed this pain in my life. I said, well, maybe this is the only way he can get your attention about a conversation he wants to have, that you've made this person more important than him. I mean, I, I, I get it. You're, it's, it's normal to be hurt, but you're entering the realm of crazy at this point. And maybe this is a conversation. What is this saying about you? You're asking, what is this saying about God? What's this saying about you? Um, so pain is often a way of, of knowing that. You know, I, I recall... This is so weird. Every wedding, every wedding, I always think, oh my gosh, one of them is going to die first. One of them, I have to bury the other one. You know, I mean, my head goes there. Because I know there's pain coming. And I, I, I know, it sounds crazy. I wish I could tell you it was different. Um, it's not death obsessed at all. Didn't read the obituaries for 10 years in a row. Finally, you had to get off that kick and realize, what am I doing? I'm just reading obituaries over and over again. Death, everyone's dying, this thing. Oh, the flower died. Of course, of course the flower died. You know, there's little corpses in the vase. So, you know, and... But see, here's the funny thing, is that if, if you have 
and see, this is a trouble, I think, maybe for, for people who want to do the right thing. If you make your spouse, your husband or your wife, everything because that's your Christian duty, what happens when they die? Where is your God then that can save you? This is the language that God uses. If romance and love is your ideal, then what happens? Where is your God to save you when romance leaves? This is why it's, sometimes it's startling to me when someone, their, their first identifier is, is their sexual orientation. Hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm gay. So, oh, I, you know, I bet you're more interesting than that. I mean, I bet you there's more to you than just who you prefer to sleep with. Because I know that once you stop having sex, you're still a human being. So, so think of it. I mean, you know, if you, if you were to think of your own life, what is, it that I, what is it that I've made my identifier? How about being a good moral person? I'm a good person. So what happens when you fall? Like when you totally screw up. I mean, royally. Then, how does the God of your moral integrity save you? You follow? Those, those replacements for God are worthless, and they leave us worthless, which is the language out of Jeremiah. So how do we get out of bed with a false spiritual lover? Um, well, let me, let me point out that you might be in one. When you um, experience an inner inappropriate, inordinate amount of fear or guilt or restlessness or boredom when you're not doing that thing, those are withdrawal symptoms. You're, you're an addict going through withdrawal. Often. Um, so, as I sort of alluded to a moment ago, you can ask yourself these, ask these two questions. You can ask yourself these two questions. What is it that I think I need to make me feel good at? again and then what is my functioning savior you follow what do I need to feel good and then what am I what is my real functioning savior look I, you, you've heard me say a few times you know we are always going to need Jesus there's never a time after you connect with Christ that's like oh well I got it now I know what to do it never happens we from the day that we connect with him to the day that we meet him we will always need him we always need, and this is, here's how I mean that we will always need a savior. We always need a restorer of our souls. We always need the gospel. We always need grace. We always need forgiveness. Always. Always. You know the most, uh, um, sort of want, like rest-giving, peaceful, you know, like aha moment I ever had? Was that. At 52. Two years ago. Wait a minute. I mean, I was just, you know, just, you know, hating myself for something stupid that I'd done. Might have been the espresso machine incident. And, uh, and it just dawned on me. I remember hearing Christ say, where, where did you think you were going to do this on your own? Why? Well, yes, because I know stuff now. I'm supposed to. I'm a pastor. I go to Biola and uh, <laughs> live near Orange County. So, I mean, I was always those those things I were like oh my gosh I, I'll always need you yep so you'll always forgive me yep oh what a relief that was to me I know it sounds stupid but that, it was like a huge aha moment for me so so overcoming this thing is asking a couple of questions and verses 2 and 3 let's you know personalize the scripture look at verses 2 and 3 you know remember that 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 sin Darkness, evil, your expressions of brokenness are not breaking the law of God. Oh, this is going to sound... 
I, I know for some of you guys, you're just going to turn off to this, but gentlemen, I want you to listen to me. You are not breaking the law of God, you are breaking the heart of God. Now I have to tell you that as I said earlier, duty, obligation, rules, it just doesn't speak. It, you know what it does for me when I think about what I have to do? It makes me not want to do it. The most attractive thing to me is the thing you tell me I'm not supposed to do. You're not supposed to do that. Why? Well, because you're not supposed to. What's going to happen? I mean, I, don't, aren't, when you're at the museum, I love doing this, uh, and at museums when it says, do not touch, <laughs> stop signs. <laughs> Well, well, of course, unless it's a cop there. Then, of course, you know, you obey the law. <laughs> I remember when my mom, uh, watching her, when she knew without any doubt that her husband, my father, had left her for another woman, actually was sleeping with another woman while he was still at home. Just seeing her weep and break down made me hate infidelity. Adultery. There was nothing romantic about it. There's nothing lovely about it. There's nothing good about it. You know, it's, you know when I, so when, this is why there's some movies, some types of movies. I can see almost anything, you know. But once there's like a romanticizing of an adulterous relationship, I was like, that really isn't quite how it happens. I see this as a very selfish, narcissistic expression of two people. And then I picture that and God says, this is exactly what it feels like when you leave me. Laws, rule obeying, has never changed my heart, but I have to tell you that this has melted my heart and transformed me. The person that has loved me more than anyone else I've ever experienced, I don't wish to cause that pain. So now you understand why I've said in the past, love moderates behavior. Follow? This is, what I'm, this is the context that I'm processing that from. If you, if you get this about what you actually do to God's heart, you're beginning to understand the effect and the power of sin, how awful it is. You know, just put yourself in that place for just a moment. I don't want, to, I don't want this to be a maudlin display. But if you were a young man, a young woman, and some of you I know, you have experienced this, so I'm sorry to bring this back. But if you have given yourself emotionally, made yourself vulnerable, were sexually intimate with your spouse, and then only to discover that they were sleeping with somebody else, I mean, there would be a bit of... Pain. It would be probably expressed in anger. But there would be pain. And so God said, this is what it's like. Over and over again. It's hard to get away from that from the scripture. So how do you, you know, remember that love that God has for you? Well, it's verses 5 and 6. You, you apply his grace to your life. This is why it matters in the morning when we sing songs. It's not just so that we, it's not a buffer. It's not for all of us who are Hispanic and showing up late because <laughs> we don't know the time or something. It's for those of us, because we, there's a reminder. It's tasting and seeing and experiencing that God is good. Okay. This is another conversation I've had with a couple of people recently that, that's sometimes troubling, but I, so let me just address it for everybody. I've asked them about, you know, how do you know when God's speaking to you? And they said, oh, I don't know. I thought, okay, if you don't know, that's a big problem. It's more than the problem that you're trying to decide. So let me ask all of you. How do you know when God has spoken to you? Or is speaking to you? It seems to speak to you. How do you know when, when He wants to share with you how much He loves you and cares about you? How much He's for you? Uh, maybe He wants to suggest and warn you. Suggest to you and, and warn you, hey, this is not a good idea. Now, how do you hear His voice? 
What does his voice sound like to you? How do you get to a place, and how do you get to a place that you can be, whether it's you know, emotionally, positionally, in a place to hear from him? You know, for some of you, it's quiet moments. Some of you, it's nature. Some of you, it's you take a walk. Some of you, you have to be alone. Some of you, you know, you're, you, know, you, you, know you, you process God differently. There isn't any A way for everybody. I get that. But what is yours? And, you know, that's got to be a place for you to do that. And if you haven't done it, well, why not? I mean, how do, you, how do you hear and experience the poetry of God's voice? And then finally, in verse 32, we're going to close with this. Um, God uses a very... Interesting language about a bride and a, 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 you know, a woman on their wedding day. <laughs> you know, of all the weddings that I've officiated, I've never had a bride show up and say, Oh, I forgot my makeup. They're, they've never been up here and said, Hey, let's all have, please be seated. Oh, I forgot my makeup. I've never had a bride say that. You know why? Because all day long, what is she doing? <laughs> how, do I, how do I look? You know, she's just looking in the mirror, always checking, doesn't forget anything, right? So he's saying, look, just as a young woman would never forget her wedding dress or her ornaments to make herself beautiful, God says, you've forgotten me. But in the language, he's saying, I'm the one that makes you beautiful. You've forgotten to put me on. And it's a lovely metaphor. And think about when then Paul takes on this metaphor later on when he talks about us. He says, hey, I want you to put on Christ. Clothe yourself with that. So maybe for, for men, for some of us, we think in terms of, okay, I, you know, it's not so much beauty, though. That's a, still a good metaphor. It works for me. It's just the idea of perfection, of being healthy, of working and functioning the way you're supposed to do as a human being. As we end the Everything series today, we've talked about um, our managing our sexual lives for girls, for men. We've talked a little bit about hell and relationships and told you about Jesus and what we're here. But, but this, this, the, this last week's talk and today's talk, I, I want us to become aware of ourselves aware of our thoughts, aware of our actions, aware of our habits, and how well-meaning, but maybe not being uh, observant, we've allowed other things, even good things, to replace God, and thereby, in a sense, diminish ourselves and break His heart. All right. hey, let me pray with you and we dismiss this morning. Father, you, you do love us, and, and I know even as I say that, it, it feels almost flippant just to say it without experiencing the emotion of it. And so, in just a, a few short seconds of quiet, I want us to be able to hear your voice and for us to say back to you that we love you. More than rules, more than just principles to follow, more than just things to avoid. You make yourself vulnerable to us. You make yourself vulnerable to us. What a, a wild notion. And, you, and you, you attract us by your incredible love. So I pray for people who are here that uh, don't feel all that lovable, they would experience your love. For people who are, are playing with fire, they're screwing around, they're not taking their soul or themselves seriously, that they would be reminded of your love. And for those who've never experienced it fully and completely, they would step into a new connection with you because of your love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. 
For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.